uh, I was I was in Asia like for two months. I did uh, the Philippines, Australia, Hong Kong, and Japan. Um, yeah, I've been I've been working with uh, NSE, you know, like the cognac brand. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they are the the current uh, partner of the NBA. You know, like the the spirit partner of the NBA. So they are they are doing like bottles and and uh, and a custom basketball too, and, and basically they are sending me around the world to shoot this on on the most the most beautiful playgrounds on earth. <laughs> Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. no, right, right. yeah. Honestly, like it's the best job I've ever had. Like even better than any like Nike job or Jordan brand job, you know, because basically they hire me to do what I do, you know, like on a personal level, you know, so I just shoot the aesthetics of playground basketball with just all basketball or our bottle. So it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's quite surreal. You know, the, the, the big frustration of all that is that I got fucked up knees, so I can't really play as much, as much as I'd love on these courts, you know, I got back and the first week I went to the doctor and now I need to do an MRI at my knee because my meniscus is torn, I guess. So, yeah, you know, I got two ACLs fucked up and everything. So. Wow. wow. Yeah, 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 I torn both my ACL, like left when I was 30 and the, the right when I was 40. So, See, that's, I'm, that's, I'm, what, that's what I'm out there yeah. dunking on them cats, man. You, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I injured all the time. I injured my ACL was like dribbling, you know, like doing some crazy crossover, but th- that didn't work out. <laughs> I injured myself. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, hey, 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 Kevin, stick with the Duncan story because you can't tell nobody you was crossing somebody else up and you no. hit yourself. <laughs> Oop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Joining us today on Who Dreams Podcast is a native of Nantes, France, a true fan of the game, the basketball game, that's what we're talking about, and the culture that surrounded it. He has been chronicling the sports for years all over the world. He is a renowned photographer who has shot big name clients. I mean, you're talking about for Nike, Slam, Hennessy, and the NBA, and that's just, you know, part of the list. But there's many others. And on top of all that, he is an award-winning filmmaker known for his documentary, Doing It in the Park, mm-hmm. Doing It in the Dark, Oh Yeah. Y'all know that song, No, I Like You Don't, which tells the story of New York's historic pickup basketball culture. We'd like to welcome to the Who Dreams podcast, the one, the only, Mr. Kevin Coolio. I'm Will Gates, and that's my dog. Part the AG, Kev. What's up, man? Thanks for coming on the show, baby. Hey, bonjour, OG Andre, Oop Dreams. <laughs> what up, what up? Bonjour. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to bring the French flavor. <laughs> yes, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what up, guys? Absolutely. How are you? What's up, Kev? Glad you could be on the show, man. We've been trying to get you on here for a while. Yeah, man, you know, I'm traveling. I'm in between planes. Uh, uh, it's hard to get me. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I was in Asia, and now I'm in France. Next, I'll be in Salt Lake City, maybe. Uh, let's see. Wow. No, no, but, uh, wow. no. Yeah, honestly, honestly, thank you for having me. Um, we, we, I know we, we'll get to talk about it, but, uh, you know, I'm a Hoop Dreams product. Uh, 
in a lot of ways uh, on the court and now off the court because of you guys. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be part of the show. Yeah. Speaking of on and off the court, before we get into asking you any questions, you got to tell AG the story you was telling me earlier, man, uh, about your knee injury, how, you know, you was dunking in, you know, in the layup line and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the people that really know me don't know I can dunk. Uh, but no, no, I, um, yeah. You know, the, 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 I mean, you guys know that like the our, our game is based on explosivity, you know, like we, you know, yeah. so my, no, I, I honestly like injured my knee uh, when I was 30 years old. Uh, so I tore my left ACL uh, on a Sunday morning pickup run in NYC uh, indoors. Yeah, and a year, a year and a half ago, I tore my right knee at 40 years old on a Sunday oh. morning pickup run in Paris. Oh, oh. So you know, I got the New York, New York City, Paris connection right there on my knees. Uh, but the the, the the sure thing is that I'm not playing pickup on a Sunday morning again. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we'll take that, man. We'll take uh, yeah. that. Ag, I was telling him, man, he should stick with the dunk story because that sounds so much better, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, well, before we'll ask you your first question, I'm gonna uh, let everybody know. If if you've ever seen a picture of me and William on a basketball court and us back to back, it's the most recent one we took together. Uh, well, that's iconic. Uh, Kevin is the one who shot that. Uh, we was in Memphis uh, doing a, uh, a film festival, and uh, that's where we met. That's where we met Kevin at, and uh, they had re renovated a Memphis court, an outdoor court out there, and Kevin. And his buddy, we went over there and took some pictures. So Kevin is the one that did that iconic photo of me and your boy. Yes, sir. No, yeah. Actually, that picture is still, still like crazy right now. <laughs> hey, we, we got to do the same one in Chicago, though. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it was quite, quite, quite amazing. I think it was 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. 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 So our friend Dan Peterson, who runs this nonprofit called Project Backboard and is currently renovating courts around the US, yeah. um, is the one who invited Bobito and I to screen doing it in a park uh, yeah. alongside you guys, you know, and and, um, and and yeah, and the thing, the crazy thing is that I had my photos printed on the backboards that were put on this park he renovated. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, meeting you guys and learning that you guys didn't really add these uh, these meetings together for a while you know that you you were like living in different cities and everything to me it was like quite quite a, quite a amazing so like I'm, I'm so happy that i got that these photos of you but uh, we yeah. definitely need to do like the same one in chicago yeah you gotta recreate. <laughs> oh, you gotta absolutely recreate. absolutely that's 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 what so many people are gonna learn today in this in this show, man. Just every place you've been and all the things you have done. So let's jump right into this thing because we know this is the Hoop Dreams podcast, but okay. this really is Kevin's podcast today. So take us back, man, to your hometown and France and Nantes, and tell us a little bit about the city and the neighborhood mm -hmm. and what was it like growing up there. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm from the west coast of France, uh, a city called Nantes, which could be uh, a twin city of Seattle in the U.S., I guess, you know, in terms of size and what it represents for the country. Um, a really nice city, like 45 minutes away from the beach. Um, 
so I grew up, uh, I was raised by my mom uh, and uh, my older brother. Uh, my brother, David, was four years old, older than me. Um, and basically, he's the one who put me onto basketball. Um, we had like a, a club at five minutes away from my home where my brother was playing basketball. Um, my brother is a lefty. Uh, and he took me one night to a training and with one of his friends. And I basically like fell in, lo- in love with the game. I was six years old. Mm. Um, never had any experience previous that, you know, in terms of accessibility or seeing basketball. I didn't know what basketball was, um, but I fell in love with the game. And since then, I never stopped playing basketball. Um, so my brother did like four years of basketball in a club, but he, he went on uh, skateboarding mm. and, and he became a pro skateboarder. So he was one of the top five skateboarders in France in the 90s. And I was basically yeah, living with this young pro skateboarder in, in a era where skateboarding was still like a, a niche sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but still at 16 years old, he was like traveling around the world uh, to compete against all the, the, the famous guys from the US, you know, like the Eric Custon, mm. all the guys who were like street skateboarders um, in the 90s, like my brother would cross them, you know, like on contests around the, the world. So, wow. and he had like, spo- wow. he had like sponsors and was, was like getting free shoes and free skateboards. And so it was like quite interesting to grow with, with an older brother being pro in, in a sport, you know, and, mm. And on the parallel, I was uh, playing basketball in a club environment, you know, like in Europe, you grew up playing club basketball. Uh, so, so yeah, I I grew up club basketball and until I was like 12 years old, um, when I got my first like playground basketball experience. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's, mm. uh, I went to a. We have a beautiful park in, in my hometown in Nantes, uh, which is like surrounded with trees, and you have like a skate park, and and you know, like it's really like peaceful vibe. Um, and I grew up there, like you know, spending my time training in a club, and each time I had like some afternoon free, I would go in the park, you know, playing with my friends, mm. and. The beautiful thing about growing up there and, and the playground is that um, my friends were coming from all around Europe and Africa. Mm. And sometimes we had guys from the US, you know, like some expats. But um, the guys I grew up with were coming from Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Senegal, you know, like. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So I grew up with with freaking athletes honestly like guys who were like so athletic and that like game you know um so i honestly learned a lot playing outdoors with these guys because we would go at each other you know like on the playground mostly like playing half court basketball um, mm-hmm. because full court basketball out there wasn't a thing we would play full court mm-hmm. on in in the club environment um and, and yeah so how much of that how much of that basketball culture outdoors kind of mimics you know the the US so obviously we 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 looked up at the US in in so many ways uh but you know like growing up in in France which is pretty conservative in in the basketball culture especially like 
because you, you're basically like torn between what they teach you in the club environment, which is only about team basketball mm-hmm. uh, and football. And mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, watching New York City tapes and, and documentaries like Hoop Dreams and Soul in, Soul in the Hole, you know, the documentary mm-hmm. about Booger Smith. Yeah. Um, later on, the N1 videos and all this stuff. And so I was like somebody who would love dribbling and going to the layup, you know, like... And when I was playing in a club environment, you know, my coach would, wouldn't let me do that, even though all my teammates knew I could do it. Like wow. The coaches in Europe, and especially like in countries like France, which are pretty conservative, see, it's team basketball. That's all it is. You know, like a, a guy like Tony Parker, like, you know, like he became Tony Parker because of the NBA. Like in Europe, you would have a different game, I think. Um, wow. Um, you know, so, so, but still like we grew up, uh, with a lot of, uh, fantasizing about the U S in a lot of ways. Um, me, the thing is that when I was eight years old, my dad, uh, who lives in the West Indies in Guadeloupe, he is he, an architect there. Um, uh, so I grew up, you know, going to West Indies as a kid playing basketball there too. It's a big, big Island of basketball. Mm. Um, he took us to the U.S. for the first time. I was eight years old. My brother was 12. And it was our first journey to the U.S. And my brother was a skateboarder already. Mm. And he went to a skate shop and did skateboarding. And, and me, I uh, saw some basketball. But I started doing skateboarding on the side, too. Mm. So okay. growing, up, growing up playing basketball outdoors and doing skateboarding outdoors, too, uh, opened up my mind on so many things like architecture, art, um, the freedom you have on a skateboard when you navigate in one in your city. Um, that thing of like you, you and your friends, like all move out to one skate spot, you know, in the city, like 10, 15 of you guys and boom, you eat the skate pots, you spend this full day over there. Um, and on top of that, with skateboarding in the 90s, you had a lot of creativity. Uh, you have like guys with cameras, yeah. video cameras, photo cameras, because the whole industry was based on uh, filming your friend to create like sponsor me videos and send them to brands to get sponsors, you know? Right. Yeah, or get publications in magazines, mm-hmm. which is unheard of in basketball. Like we wouldn't go to the park with a cameraman to say, hey, do a photo of me so I can get a Nike deal, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, in skateboarding, it worked that way. So we were always surrounded with guys creating, creating content, mm. you know? And, and so early 2000s, um, my brother gave me a camera and I started like basically replicating what I saw in skateboarding in basketball. Mm. Like I got really influenced by skateboarding photographers and they are the way they frame, um, the way they frame the, the photos, you know, it's like, it's always more about architecture than the athlete itself. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like they'll, they'll see a beautiful bench on a building at the bottom of a building and they, Oh, that's a nice skate spot. And, and photographers usually in skateboarding, like they all compose their shot with architecture and, and when I was looking at a playground, I felt that uh, an empty court was as beautiful as, as a, a beautiful landscape or a building, you know, and, and right. especially us ballplayers, the special relationship we have with the hoop itself, you know, and the court, you know, like, so uh, I studied photography with that 
thing in mind is trying to bring the, the to lift up the aesthetic, aesthetic of playground basketball. You know, I want to ask you, Kev, um, and really this is just a follow-up to Arthur's question in the culture. Um, how, how did you guys get access to, like, American basketball? Because I just remember even in the 90s coming up, mm-hmm. you know, it's common now to hear, like you say, about a Tony Parker or, you know, and other guys from, you know, other countries coming to America to play now. Uh, but how did you get, cause I don't, I don't remember, and I don't know if you did AG, but I don't like, we didn't have a connection with like hearing about overseas players, yeah. you know, from the States to France, but how did you guys get that information? So the thing is that it was pretty tough to get access to basketball in, in reality, because we, we had magazines. Like we are like the good thing of France, the market was good. So, and basketball was in the trend in the nineties. So we had access to like magazines, monthly magazines or weekly sometimes. Um, and there was an NBA broadcaster canal plus, which still is, I mean, not anymore, but was the historic, um, NBA, NBA broadcaster in France. Uh, we had a great commentator and everything, but, but the thing is that it was an expensive channel to get. Like the sub- the subscription was really expensive and my mom couldn't afford it. So personally, I grew up watching, I didn't grow up watching the NBA really, like not until I was a little bit older. But as a kid, we had like the Michael Jordan come fly with me airtime and playground videos and all these NBA entertainment videos, like the NBA superstars too, like all these, you know, like the one on the, the small guys, you know, like, <laughs> so Basically, that's all we had. And we were like exchanging videos with our friends, you know, and, and basically I learned basketball watching the MJ videos. Wow. Like I was, I was doing like, you know, like fast forward, rewind, uh, sort of trying to do slow motion with the VHS recorder to, to decompose MJ's moves, you know, and learn basketball like this. That's, that's how, that's how I grew up, honestly. Like learning MJ's fadeaway, you know, like I think that was, that was it, you know, and, um, I think and the I first think, uh I think the first foreign player that I knew of that played in the NBA was uh Drazen Petrovic and uh the Stepan the Stepanovic uh, guy played for Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. Them the only two guys. And then after that I started, you know, knowing about, you know, um like shrimp, that left shrimp yeah, and guys yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. that left shrimp and all those guys. Like it was very few of them, but I guess that yeah, it, it, they were the top over in Europe where they were in they in their countries. Yeah, totally. And 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 just even a follow up to that, like like even like how the birth of hoop dreams is. You got Arthur and I saying, you know, we want to play in the NBA. Is that like the goal for a lot of guys over in France? Like, man, do they, like, so, they go around like, man, we're going to play in the league. Honestly, like back then, so I'm the same generation than Tony Parker. I'm 82. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I must have played against him when I was a kid because he grew up in the northwest of France and I grew up in the west of France. Mm. And I, both of us were like good in our category. So I grew up, uh, you know, playing with the best guys in my town, my region. And there was nobody around to tell us, hey, potentially you could go in the US to do like high school or college, whatever, and, and, and you know, get a scholarship 
and and learn basketball there and, and maybe potentially like go far in, in the game you know like only access were yeah so the only access were in french ba- france basketball like play pro in, in in the french environment but the nba the nba wasn't a dream because it, there was no avenue to go to the nba nobody had had, had shown us the path to go to the nba That's um crazy no. Yeah, Tariq Abdulwahad is the really like Jérôme Mo- Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Rizzo and Tariq Abdulwahad are the only two that really like paved the way, but still it was like shocking for everybody. Like I think Tony Parker's generation is obviously the one that has like opened the door for 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 the youth right now, you know. So and the thing honestly, like me growing up uh, doing skateboarding and basketball especially outdoors you know like uh, both like streetball and skateboarding were like new york uh influence you know mm. so i was like craving for every piece of information i could get about you know new york city basketball and and documentaries and and everything every bit of culture i, I could get um you know to your information i could get were, was what built built me and shaped me like hoop dreams i saw it i think in 96 i mm. didn't see i didn't watch hoop dreams in 94 because it wasn't available i think in france back then you know, like and and i watched it in 96 in 96 i think and i was like uh, 14 years old so the same age that you guys were in the film when they they, they started shooting the film mm-hmm. so so for me it was like uh, an eye opener on American basketball, um, the the struggle that guys in America would go through to 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 escape their reality and go and like, try to access to the league, you know. Um, because I mean, we come in Europe, like basketball is a niche sport, mm. uh, still still is today, you know. And, and you guys are like so many kids around the US trying to access the NBA for only few spots. Yeah. And Hoop Dreams was to me uh, a, re- a revelation, a revelation, you know, like in, in that sense. That uh, and I was honestly like crying in front of the film when I was 40, 14 because not because I was I was sharing your pain and and feeling your pain of of you know like every every steps you know and 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 I think that and in terms of cinematography and and how the film is built and uh, yeah. the. The, the dedication of the filmmakers to follow you guys for so long, it's something that you don't really see anymore in the film industry yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I'm honestly like quite sad that when I watch, when I'm on Netflix or Amazon Prime, I don't see Oop Dreams available. 
because it's such a good like case study for filmmakers right now. Yeah, that's because it's on HBO. They 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 own it now. But oh, okay. I wasn't I wasn't laughing because you was crying. I was laughing because AG and now we still crying. We like man, why couldn't they have them NIL deals out now so that we could we can get some of that money? But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. And, and but I want to I want to ask you this though. This Kev, you 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 talked about your brother in other interviews and how he was uh, influenced your life with basketball, filmmaking, photography. One, can you talk a little bit about that? And 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 I also want to ask you too. Uh, was your brother competing like against Tony Hawk and those guys? So the thing with Tony Hawk is that it's a, you know like skateboarding is like basically street skateboarding and ramps and and uh, you know like ramp riders you know like the guys who are doing like skate parks you know so I mean you had skate parks in co the contest but Tony Hawk is a different sport you know like he's doing the ramp riding so it's they never really compete you know against these guys my brother were doing street skateboarding and skate parks so on the contest you you never I mean. They crossed paths, but they never compete against each other. It's like two different sports. Gotcha. You know, it's like half pipe, half pipe in in snowboarding, and 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 uh, you know, like uh, the race in snowboarding. It's like two different sports. So, um, so yeah, half pipe in skateboarding and street skateboarding is two different things. Um, well, share with us about the impact your brother had on really just all of the aspects of your life. Yeah, you know, I think. Um, because we got raised by a single mom, uh, I was always with my brother, uh, always. And, you know, skateboarding, we would always go out and skateboarding was, uh, and we were doing sport, like basketball and skateboarding for sure. And, and the thing is that we were always out, we were friends and he took me under his wing and, you know, made, made sure I was with them. And, and, and um, I had bad, and the thing too is that in basketball, your coach is also your, your second dad, you know, in some way. Um, so I was like splitting my time between my basketball trainings, uh, with the coaches. And I would even go to the women's training because I was every night in the gym to play basketball. Um, yeah. And, and with skateboarding, I would find something different, something that would open my mind on a lot of things. And, and, um, and seeing your brother uh, being so dedicated in one sport, uh, achieving so much and traveling so young, uh, getting sponsorships. Uh, and plus, the thing is that he started doing video uh, like uh, as a filmmaker, you know, at 16 years old too. Mm. So he had like VHS recorders filming everybody in the city, all the skateboarders and making mixtapes of that um at 16 years old already like he was like destroying our vhs recorders because he was doing editing in the, the living room <laughs> wow. uh, so so basically you grew up with somebody who was like productive like doing stuff as when he's still a kid you know wow and obviously for kids today it's way easier because with a smartphone they can edit their own videos and everything is like so uh, insti mm -hmm. instinctive for them but back then to Take a camera, put the the tape in VHS recorders, editing, you know, with tapes, you know, like it's it was such a a workshop, like a real workshop we had in in the in the apartment. So I think you know, and me as a kid, I was playing video games and playing basketball, doing skateboarding, but I always felt guilty 
because you would always like say, hey, what are you doing playing video games? Like it's, you're wasting your time. Like what the fuck, you know? And I think this played a lot on my mind too, you know, growing up, you know, um, seeing my brother always being active. Um, yeah. And so it influenced me a lot in, in, and built me in, in, and is a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. I think. Girl, when he gave, when he gave you that camera, how long was it before you start finding your own style? Uh, whew, wow, that's a good question. Um, you know what? The first photos I've ever shot with that camera. So that's a good story. So he gave me the camera in, in 2003, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the first photos I did were of my friend, uh, Hervé, a dunker, a guy who was like, um, Ivor, uh, is from Ivory Coast, massive, like bounce and super aesthetic. Like, you know, like he's like sort of a Jamoran style aesthetic, you know, like boom, somebody like super flexible. He, w- he would dunk on any- anybody. And I did a photo of this guy and I sent it to Bounce Magazine in New York City, which was founded by Bobito Garcia. Mm-hmm. They had they had an email in the, the for the readers corner, you know, and I sent the photos to the readers corner, and Bobito replied to me and and said to me, oh, I'm, it's amazing, great photo, I'm going to publish it in in Bounce magazine. Wow. And yeah, and issue issue, issue number two of Bounce magazine, like Bobito published my email and the photo. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you, do you and, still got that magazine? Yeah, of course. Yeah, obviously, obviously. <laughs> That's amazing. No, and the thing too, which is weird with Bobito, is that we knew him before this email because Bobito, being such a, an activist in New York City subcultures, we saw Bobito in uh, skateboarding videos. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was like a Zoo York uh, video, you know, like uh, I think it was like industry section, they call it in 411 videos back then. And Bobito had like a cameo on a playground where he was dribbling, like doing like spin moves and stuff like that. And, and, um, and, and so we knew Bobito for, from a lot of, and for a lot of reasons. And, and when I sent the photo to him, he published it. And, and the summer after I would go to New York City and, and I met him for the first time. Um, yeah, that's how the story started with Bob. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty dope. No, no, that's, that's cool. pretty dope. That really is. That really is. Hey, how, how long was it that, or I guess I should ask you, how old were you when you started shooting? And, 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 and I know you say your brother gave you the camera, but because you had a love for playing sports too, when he gave you this camera, did you think like, why are you giving me this? um i don't know i was 20 so i started photography a little bit late you know a lot of people start young but me i was like so focused on sports you know um uh, i I don't know i mean it was pretty natural for him to give it to me because he wasn't doing much photography was doing a lot of filming um but um you know like when you start doing photography you you especially uh, yeah Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 20 years old, you don't really expect to 
to make any money out of it because it wasn't even a plan in my my career path. Right. Uh, yeah. No, not really. Honestly, like um, he gave me the camera and I started like shooting as a hobby. Um, we uh, um, so and right away. So back then I was working in a basketball store in my hometown uh, in Nantes. Um, I was working for a store called Basket Connection. And it was uh, amazing because we had like a wall of like 200 pairs of shoes with from, you know, like the golden era of uh, Adidas with the T-Max and the Gil Zeros, the, the N1, the Tai Chi's and all this stuff, you know, like, so I was a salesman in that basketball shop and touching all these incredible shoes. Uh, and Jordan was just like barely starting doing retros. Um, and... Uh, and on the side, you know, I started, you know, like my, one of my colleagues was a writer for a French basketball magazine as a side job. Mm. And talking with that guy, you know, like it motivated me to say, hey, I'm working in a basketball shop. I'm on a playground all day. I got a camera. So maybe I can do something of myself outside of this, this salesman's job. And I started like writing um, sneaker reviews for a French basketball magazine and uh, photo essays uh, on playgrounds around Europe. So I started with my own courts in Nantes. And then, you know, I went to Barcelona, did a report on, on the court in Barcelona because my brother was uh, living there uh, at some point. And, and, you know, like that's how it started, you know, like being a contributor for a basketball magazine. Damn. <laughs> Man, I wish I wish we could have did that. I, I mean, first, first of all, okay, I'm just thinking like, okay, you get a camera, and but to have the foresight to say, well, I'm gonna start here in my neighborhood, start shooting some courts, yeah. start shooting some, like, like you're talking about innovation, man. Just to even, cause I I've seen basketball pictures, but I've never seen photos like yours, Kev. Like that's. <laughs> That's that's next level. That's next level. Uh, hey, I got. Hey, let me, let me let me let me ask Kev this. Kev, do you remember in the nineties? Uh -huh. And I think about, I say about ninety three. And sometime in the Slam magazines and a few of the uh, basketball magazines, do you remember this brand? And it's from Munich, Germany. Yeah. K one X. I yeah, I have a special relationship with K one X. So yeah, because when I was working in that basketball store, uh, I worked in the store like for three years. Um, a French guy who was distributing K one X came to the store, saying, "Okay, I just signed that brand, and I need people to work with me to develop the brand in France and Belgium." Mm. And boom, right away, the guys, my colleagues say, hey, Kevin, who is your guy? He's like, he's, he's all about that kind of brand. Like he's a product of, <laughs> you know, uh, of playground basketball. So, and, and back then, N1 was fading away a little bit, um, you know, and basically I got the job with the distributor, moved to Paris and became the, the sales and marketing manager for K1X in France and Belgium. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was still doing photography on the side, still coming up and coming in photography, but doing as a hobby, working for the magazine still. But I had that full-time job selling the brand, going to all the basketball stores and sports general sports stores in France to promote K1X, sell the brand. 
um, we would go to Germany twice a year to meet the guys, work on the collections, and and try to find um, and try to find yeah like the, what would be the next trends. Um, but it started an amazing relationship with that brand because um, they were from Germany. They were ball players. I mean, they are ball players, and and they are like a a great vision on on you know like on. American basketball and the outfits and I think the apparel they were doing were like yeah. way more way more than than anyone. Uh, the shoes weren't as good as anyone, but the the vision they had was on point. You know, like they would go to New York City to shoot their collection books, uh, which I eventually did with them uh, a few years after. Um, they had like this cool vision and, and they were all about New York City streetball, which was pretty cool yeah. for a German brand. <laughs> yeah. They they was to but, me to me, they was like the overseas and one. And I if I'm not mistaken, uh they had Ron Artest promoting their stuff for a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. They had Ron Artest, they had a few guys from New York City. Um they were never saying to anybody that they were from Germany. Uh, oh, because yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. now nah, because you know wow. it's, it's quite, yeah. It, I think it's, but it, I mean, you know, you know how tough it is to develop a brand in Europe yeah. for it to work in the US. In the US I think yeah. it's, you know, like if you want to start a brand, you got to start in New York City. To me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, no, so so yeah, work with K1X until 2009. Mm. And AG, then, do you have a pair of those? No, nah, I didn't. But I, I used to I used to see their ads in the in the back of um of the slam magazines all the time. And uh I used to see just New York. They like they was affiliated some you know with New York. So I was like, yeah. damn, this this a nice little brand. So I would check their website out. And like he said, they they clothes wasn't basketballish. It was more casual yeah. basketball. Totally. Like totally. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you could go from the court. You know, to a dinner or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was that. It was that kind of kind of gear. Totally, and they had a great thought process behind each collection. Like they would basically take cultural references to build up the collections. Like they, I remember one collection was all about the barbecue vibe. You know, another one was about the NWA inspiration. So, mm-hmm. and they would try to stick with these concepts. You know, that was like related to American culture throughout the lines and and i think they had a lot of uh, that good taste and a, a good like culture too like they love the pop and, and basketball so they knew what they were doing yeah they're still around too yeah totally hey hey Kev, what was that moment like ag now we always ask this question to guys like you know in terms of basketball reference we say man who's the guy that you had to beat to know that you were you know that this was you what you were supposed to do i want to ask you what what was it that when you when you looked at this particular photo, you said, okay, this is the one. I'm supposed to be doing this. For what, money. What shot was that? <laughs> uh, you know what? The thing is that I never really, I mean, I had like some influences that are mostly like uh, uh, journalists or reporters that, that that basically focused on basketball at some point or, or, or did books. Um, like, you know, like these old school photographers that shot New York City playground basketball. I think I was looking up to these guys, like the Rick Tellender and, and you know, like um, a lot of guys that we used in doing it in a park in the archives um, because they were documenting uh, playground basketball in black and white in the 90s, either in Chicago or New York. You know, I think I was basically super inspired by that. Um, 
and on the other side, I was inspired by Slam Magazine, obviously, because uh, I would see a guy like Atiba Jefferson who would come from skateboarding culture and try to use like photography techniques that are coming from skateboarding in basketball. And I remember in one special shoot he's, he has done with Desmond Mason back then, uh, uh, using a fisheye on a playground in Seattle, you know, that was beautiful, like super inspiring. And since I grew up with skateboarding influences and these like documentary photographers from New York City, um, I tried to, to, to bring that, I think, in my, my work. Um, the, the reality, too, is that I grew up in France and the image of French basketball we had was like so poor in terms of aesthetic. Um, the jerseys were ugly, like you had like these ugly sponsors everywhere. The, 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 the wooden floor was, was ugly with sponsors everywhere. Um, the, the lights in, in the, in the gyms were, were bad, you know, and the French basketball magazines weren't sexy at all. Mm. And I was looking at the States and I was like, what, why don't we have that in Europe? You know? And, and that's how I picked up a camera in the first place. You know, it's just, I wanted to elevate the. Wow. The, the 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 visuals you know in, in playground basketball and i and i didn't i wasn't interested in shooting indoor basketball at all wow <laughs> yeah hey you know what yeah. it's so funny will i don't know if, i don't know if it's if it's if it's me or have y'all uh have y'all seen this like every time an nba player or um a a, a brand nike adidas or under armor you ever see how they try to always use the outdoor court to yeah. sell the product? It's never, it's almost. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. never indoor in the gym, you know, on an NBA yeah. court. It's really. To sell that product, they always use an outdoor court or that player on something on an outdoor court. Just, I was like, wow. Yeah, totally. And and sometimes it's really even more disconnected now that kids are not even playing outdoors as much as they used to. So, right. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's just because it's the, the purest form of basketball, the most accessible uh, form of basketball, like playing outdoors, you know, and, 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 and the thing is that um, it's just, you know, for me as a photographer, I always enjoy motioning guys on the outdoor court because it feels natural and, and the, the backdrop is is always nicer, I think. And you can play with the architecture, the hoop itself, the texture of the court. Um, they are beautiful. They are beautiful, beautiful gym, especially in the U.S., you know, like, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of gyms that are super nice to, sh- to shoot in. But uh, for me... I, I was trying to 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 fill a gap, I think, in, in playground basketball documentation. Mm. Yeah, you did it. You did it. Let me <laughs> ask you this: um, What was the first big job you got? So, yeah, let, let me circle back to 2009. So, I, I stopped working for K1X as an employee for the distributor. And I become a full-time freelance photographer. And I basically quit that job, bought a camera, 
went to New York City for three months to experience my dream of New York City streetball. Like, because I would go before that, I would go to New York City there for two weeks, for three weeks, you know, just to to get a sense of the city. But then I spent three months in 2009 in New York City to play outdoors with my friends and try to play on tournaments and shoot uh, photography, you know. And, and the guys from K1X, knew, knowing that, they told me, hey, we have this amazing beat that just got out that we'd like to use for a campaign. It's uh, Heart and Soul of New York City from Red Cafe and Pit Rock. They sent me the track and they told me, hey, we want to shoot a summer of streetball in New York City. Would you be down to film? And that's what I did. Like for the three months I was in New York City with my girlfriend, we would go to Together We Chill in Spanish Harlem. We would go to West Force. We would go to, uh, to Fireball in Brooklyn. We would go to so many different tournaments and spend time in Lower Manhattan Classic too uh, in the city to shoot like pure streetball, you know, like, and I was maybe the only white dude, you know, like on the court, like shooting with my, my Canon 5D back then, you know, and I was French, you know, so it was even like, even more, more special for me because my English was okay, but not as good as now. And, you know, for, for a Frenchman to go, you know, spend every night in Spanish Harlem when guys are smoking weed and drinking, but yeah. they're on the court, yeah. trash talking the players, you know, like the intensity of, of it all, you know, it's like, it was one of the, the best summer I had, honestly. Um, and, and so and basically, on, look, and on top of that, you got paid for it from the guys who, who you who you just stopped working for. <laughs> exactly. Will, how that happen? Who stopped yeah. working for a company? Hey, listen, I'm, listen, it, I'm it so was stunned by. Money, I'm so stunned by by Kevin's career because every every level, <laughs> you know, something amazing <laughs> happened. Like his brother gives him a camera. You know, then he starts working for, you know, the gym shoe company. You know, it's like everything just keep plugging itself in. Now he's in New York City and they just like, hey, Kev, you're out there. Listen, right. can, you, can you just, no, <laughs> like, who, ha- who that happens to, you know? <laughs> no, honestly, yeah, yeah, it feels quite surreal. A lot, a lot of things were like, the stars were aligned in a lot of ways. And I, I, I owe these guys from Germany, like K1X, a lot because they basically gave me the opportunities to do these creative projects. Even if it wasn't a lot of money, um, you know, the fact that I was able to to use them as a pretext to be on these courts and shoot playground basketball every night, like shoot like Kareem Reed, you know, like doing crazy passes, you know, like world premiere, all these playground guys, you know, who are, the, who are like so exciting to, to watch, you know? Um, and, and so we did the film and the film got out uh, early 2010, like maybe in January or February. And Bobito sees the film like he watches the film like and he has like a small cameo in the film it's like a short like you have seen that film yeah yeah okay and bobito watches it and basically sends me an email right away hey, okay we've got to do a documentary about you know like the game of 21 in new york city we have to work on something together he was like so excited because he was watching art and sort of new york city like every day and I got a lot of feedback from the, the basketball community about this short film, you know. Um, mm. Everybody is like, even like even now and then, you know, like people say, hey, I still watch it like every month or every one, once in a while, you know, it's like pretty cool. Mm.
I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. Know I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison. Your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me. I'm all but going there again. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a seal fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Hoop Dreams the Podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Written and produced by Arthur A.G., Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming forward, all best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me.